Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning, North Main. I am uh, glad to be with you this morning. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt McCarrier. Um, my family and I, we attend here, and uh, I like to, I like to um, preach with you guys. It's always a good time to uh, be able to get to see all your faces and to interact with you in this way. It's been a little while since I've been up here. We, uh, our family, things have been crazy this kind of second half of this year. In uh, September, uh, well, actually in August, my wife and I did some traveling. September, we had a bunch of family stuff going on. And then October, my whole family caught COVID and we were kind of down for a little while. And uh, now we're here. So it's kind of been a little bit of a whirlwind, been away for a little while, but uh, we've been watching online. We've been here when we can. And so we appreciate everyone who's been checking in on us and, and uh, praying for us. We, we appreciate that a lot. And so uh, it is good to see, like I said, we are going to be continuing on today with our sermon series, Parting Peace, where we were talking about um, parting words uh, given to the church on peace, um, kind of demanding peace in some instances, begging for peace in some instances, and passing peace in some instances. So uh, today we're actually going to be looking at the book of Philippians um, and the book of Philippians is a little bit different than some of the other books of the New Testament. Uh, it is written by Paul. Uh, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote the letters that, he, uh, that we read through the New Testament as uh, for different things. They are letters. And just like you might send, uh, letters are not as common these days, but you might send an email or a text message um, for any number of different ways and reasons. Uh, that is what Paul did as well. We see Paul, when you look at his, each of his letters, some of them were for correction, some of them were for encouragement, some of them were thanks. Uh, today, Philippians is a book of thanks. Uh, a little bit of background on the book of Philippians. Uh, the church at Philippi was started by Paul, and Paul uh, had started it on his missionary journeys and uh, had then left it in its, the care of some of its leaders that were there and had traveled away. And in the time that he had traveled away, uh, he had been arrested and he is now in prison when he's writing this letter. And the church at Philippi actually uh, gathered up financial um, resources. They, they took a tithe, they took an offering, and they sent that with a, one of the leaders from their church to Paul in prison. And they told the leader from their church to stay and assist Paul in however that person could. And so Paul actually writes the book of uh, Philippians as a thank you letter to that church in Philippi for the gift that they sent him. He ends the letter that way, and we'll read that a little bit today. Um, but he ends his letter by just kind of pouring out his heart saying thanks for this gift, uh, not, not only the monetary, but for sending a friend who can be there with me and can uh, help me through this really, really tough time. And the book is interesting for another reason, because it doesn't include a whole lot of correcting for that reason. So he's um, saying thanks. He talks about how joyful that church makes him, about how much um, 
peace that he, they have brought to him, how much joy they've brought to him throughout his life. And so we kind of get a different uh, take. Usually when we're used to reading uh, Paul's letters, they're pretty hard hitting. He doesn't pull any punches when he writes. And so we see a lot of times uh, that his letters are full of correction. They're a little bit, you know, maybe hit you in the gut. Uh, but Philippians, you read through and it's encouraging. Uh, it's a thank you. And so if you've not read the book, I really do encourage you. It's only four chapters long. And it's very short, and uh, it's a really encouraging one, especially if you're facing hard times or you're going through it. And when you picture that the person writing it is Paul while he's in prison, it becomes even more impressive uh, because he talks a lot about the joy that he's received from God. He talks a lot about this joy that he can't explain. He goes, you know, given my circumstances, I have no idea why I feel joyful other than it is the Holy Spirit and Christ in my life, my relationship. That is what brings me this joy. And he says, I hope that you receive it as well. The point of that letter is there. He goes, I hope that you receive this as well. I hope that you are feeling joy as well. I thank you for all that you're doing. And so he ends this um, a little bit different than maybe some of the other books, like I said, just because this letter is a little bit different than the other ones. Uh, but we're going to read through his ending here today. And, and this is in Philippians 4, 2 through 9. I'll give you a chance to turn there. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. So it starts right off with some hard names. So if I mess those up, I'm going to try very, very hard to say them correctly. But it says, Now I appeal to you, Iodia and Sintichi, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, and that's one of the only like corrections in this book as you read through. I mean, he gives other advice and stuff, but this is something where he wants to end it. He's like, it, that's just kind of Paul. When you read Paul and you get to know him, he, uh, he, even in a time where he's like really, really giving thanks and he's saying, hey, you guys are so great, so thankful for who you are. He's at the end, he's like, but there's a little bit of something that you could do, right? He's always the teacher, always the corrector. And it's something that I admire because a lot of times I think in, in church, uh, when we're interacting with each other, we just tend to, to shy away from that. You know, we, we tend to shy away from trying to, um, but we shouldn't, right? If we're trying to better each other, we should be willing to say, hey, I'm seeing something that, that we should work on. And so this is what it starts out right here. He says, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thankful, thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. 
He goes on a little bit, and we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit here, but um, he finishes out this letter by giving thanks to them again for their gift. Um, and so we see um, that in there. But this is kind of his closing remarks as far as a teacher goes, um, how he's kind of closing out his letter and saying, hey, this is the last thing. If, I, if you're going to remember something, if you're going to take away something from this uh, scripture or from this letter that I'm writing to you, this is kind of it. I want to sum this up for you. And we're going to kind of break down piece by piece what he says here. Um, our key point today is that as we seek peace, as we are peace seekers, we have to do three things. We have to, um, to experience God's peace requires reconciliation, commitment to prayer, and thoughts focused on things that are holy. We're going to break down those three things today and look at kind of the, what Paul talks about here. This is a really timely piece for the church right now. I don't know about you, but if you follow the, the church on a broader sense, you know, not the United States, but even worldwide, uh, we're really seeing a dismantling of the unity of church across the nation. Um, there's multiple things breaking into the church right now. One of them is uh, social justice movements and, break, and the disagreements on them. Um, one of them is uh, different in, um, opinions on what the role of the government is. Uh, some of them is uh, who you should back and what parties you should back in the government. And these things are just tearing at the fabric of who church is and how we kind of unify under this, this one person, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because we see Paul talking about peace, and he talks about, he starts this last section of his letter out about talking about reconciliation between two members of this church. We see, again, their name's a little bit tricky, but we see um, Iodia and Sintichi, two women who worked alongside Paul in forming this church. So again, if you ever are, uh, hear somebody argue about the role of women in church, you can point them to this verse. Um, these women were instrumental in the formation of the church. They were leaders in the church. Um, Paul is not only thinking about them, but cares enough about their role in the church and uh, their agency in the church that he addresses the entire church to try and fix it within a letter. Um, so we see that um, the role of women, that's a little side, aside there, but the role of women is um, Paul kind of gets a bad rap for that because he had to try and work within the constructs of his uh, culture at the time. And so he, he gives almost like mixed um, advice sometimes in his letters when you read through on things like that. And it's interesting because we're not really that different and uh, displaced from what he was going through right now. There, I, I talked about the social justice movements and what is going on there and about how there are certain circumstances where when we're trying to figure out how we navigate this world, where there are cultural things that we have to take into account. And there's other times when we have to put our foot down and say, no, this is how we do it. And we see Paul trying to do that. He's trying to work and weave within culture and trying to say, listen, there's certain things where if we do them, even though we could do them, It'll be detrimental to our witness. And there's other things where he says, it's the opposite. If you do what the world's calling you to do, it's going to be just detrimental. And we see that with, with uh, how he handles um, women in leadership and things in that as well. But what we're going to focus on today is his call for reconciliation. If you're unfamiliar with the word reconciliation, what it's used for now 
uh, more common than anything else is within um, finances. When you're trying to reconcile uh, your, your checkbook, when you're trying to reconcile your spending to your um, income, and you're trying to figure out, you know, where'd that money go, <laughs> right? It's the end of the month, and you're like, I thought I had more money in my bank account. Where did it all go? And you're trying to reconcile, make these things. And what, what really the word means is you're trying to make things line up. Uh, you're trying to make them so that they fit together. Um, and so we see reconciliation used time and time and time again in the Bible. One of the most famous um, reconciliation verses actually comes from Paul as well. And this is found in 2 Corinthians 16 through 21. We don't have a slide for this, but I'm just going to read through it so you can listen. It says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one point... Um, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. He gave us our, he, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's a lot of reconciliations in there. Um, but what Paul is basically saying there is he's saying we were not right with God. And God sent Christ to reconcile, to make us right. Just like I said with that checkbook at the end of the month where you're looking and you're saying, my income and my expenses, they don't make sense. What, what I thought was going out and what that doesn't make sense, they don't match. How do we bring these things and make them make sense together? And we see that Paul's talking about this where humanity, because of sin, was in unalignment with God. That we were not aligned. We, we couldn't reconcile. And so he sent Christ to bring us back into alignment. And he's saying, when Christ left this world, he left us with the ministry of reconciliation to continue this work. It means to continue to bring people not only into alignment with God, but into alignment with ourselves. And so this is something where we're, we're pretty okay with this message when it comes to reconciling people to God. I'll bring them to church. They can hear about God and whatever. But when it comes to reconciling with us, well, you can believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe, and we don't need to talk to each other. We don't need to engage with each other. And actually, if you believe something that I don't agree with, I can be really mad at you. I can hate you. And if you don't think this happens in churches, I promise you it does. You can just watch, watch any kind of um, uh, YouTube or anything like that where they're talking about kind of this breakdown in the church, and there's clip after clip after clip of churches taking hard stances where the people over here are the enemy and the people over here are our friends. It doesn't matter what the reasoning is. Like I said, it could be political. It could be something to do with the social justice movements. It could be something to do with um, any number of things. That your, your stance on, our, uh, on the wars and different things and our pulling out of Afghanistan. It could be anything. 
And you say, the people that believe this opposite of me are evil. And the Bible tells us that that is an absolute lie. And we see here, we see two women within the church, leaders within the church, who were doing this very thing. They were in the same exact church, toiling for the same goal. Paul even says they were masters in the ministry. They were people who were helping him, who were growing the church. So there, it's just so, I laugh because it's a little ironic when you look at it, just like this picture, but it happens so often in the church. It doesn't stop in the first church. It happens now, today, we see it over and over again. I've experienced it in my own personal life where I've, uh, I've gone in and met with other pastors whenever I was working full-time ministry, and uh, we'd be discussing stuff, and we'd be trying to plan on how to do some ministry things within the community, and I would, uh, we'd get to a place, and then all of a sudden we'd just hit a roadblock, and usually the roadblock was a differing in uh, doctrine, right? You know, it was just like, it was little things that, to me, did not mean we should be stopping what we were doing. We should keep going, keep pushing, and it was okay. We could disagree on these things and move forward because we had the unity of Jesus Christ, we had been reconciled to him. Now, hear me when I talk through all of this. Uh, there are hard and fast things that the Bible says. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He's the Son of God. He was both fully God and fully man. The Holy Spirit was given to us to point us to him, and he was brought into this world to point us to God. Those things are unquestionable and undeniable. The Bible says those plain and simple. But there's other things, like I said, with Paul and how he tried to deal with the things that were going on in his times and culture, where he was able to kind of shift. He says, I will be all things to all men to spread the gospel, not forsaking the truth, never forsaking the truth, the truth of who the gospel is, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ has called us to do, to live a life set apart, to give our lives to him. And so we see that and yet, within this, these two women who are having this same exact goal, they have some sort of disagreement that is driving them to be separate. And so far, I don't know if any of you have played on a sports team before, but um, whenever I played lacrosse, there was one, there was one year where I had um, these two guys, they were both really, really, really good on the team, and they hated each other. They refuse to pass to each other. They refuse to be, you know, to do anything. And it's really hard when you're running a play and one of the other person hates the other person and they refuse to play with them. It was really detrimental to our entire team. And actually, they ended up being sidelined for a large portion of the second half of the season because they were no good. They were no use to anyone. And this is where Paul kind of comes in. If we want to be peace seekers, if we want to seek peace. How many of us want that right now? I want it so desperately. All I see is hate. I see anger. I see desperation. I see frustration. I see it over and over and over again. And the church, it's crept into the church. And it's spreading like wildfire within it. And I want so desperately to have peace. Again, I'm not going to sacrifice what I know is truth for the sake of it, but a person who should seek peace must seek reconciliation. For some people, this is easier than it is for others. For some reason, it has always come easy to me. This does not make it so that I'm trying to elevate myself above anybody else. 
I have my own struggles, things that, I, that I'm sure some of you do not struggle with, I struggle very deeply with. But this is something that has always come kind of natural to me, where I'm willing to put aside differences for the sake of peace. And I'll tell you what, what's interesting is I have found in my life that when you think that maybe you have to make compromises in this moment, maybe, um, we don't know entirely what the disagreement was, but maybe Iodia and uh, Sintichi, maybe they had differing um, you know, opinions on something scriptural. Maybe they both thought that they were very right, and yet Paul says, fix this. And there are times whenever in my life when I've come to someone who is open to this kind of idea of reconciliation saying, hey, listen, I know that we maybe got off to the wrong foot or, you know, there's been stuff in the past where we didn't see eye to eye, but I want to go forward with you as a brother or sister in Christ. And almost every single time that I've experienced that, I have experienced the ability to start having dialogue with that person I've experienced the, and it's made me grow as a person. I get to hear what they're trying to say. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you say what you say? Oh, here's what I think. Let's break this down. And, and sometimes, more often than not, honestly, one of the two of us hasn't really thought it all through. Sometimes that's me. Maybe I've not experienced something that the other person has. They say, well, no, listen, like, that's all, all well and good when you're reading it on a paper, but I actually went through this, and this is what happened to me. And I go, oh, wow, that changes my perspective, right? And if we want peace in our nation, if we want peace in our country, in our world, genuine peace, right, that we're supposed to be seeking after, then this is that very first thing. We have to seek reconciliation. Not only did Christ, I mean, that's what Christ said. He said, I'm leaving you the ministry of reconciliation. Love others and love God. To be made right with God and to be made right with others. Now, here's the thing. There are times whenever this is not possible. We should always be seeking to try and do it, but there are people whose hearts have been hardened and they just refuse to be reconciled to you. But I have to implore us. And this is an encouragement. Like I said, this is a letter of, of pure encouragement to the Philippian church. I encourage you to be the one that takes those first steps. I have found it brings so much peace, not only to persons, but to, to families. I, I will share a story with you. There is um, a, a portion of our family, my, my wife and I, is where one side was not talking to the other for years. I'm talking 15 years. For years. And we, Pam and I, my wife, we were getting married, and uh, I came to the time to do the invitations and stuff, and I said, hey, we're going to invite these guys, right? And she was like, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody wants us to. Like, they've not talked for, to us for 15 years. We've not talked to them for 15 years. And, and I eventually said, well, what hurt does it do? Let's just do it. And I can tell you what, though that part of the family came to our wedding, and they spent the entire wedding traveling around, table to table, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, reconciling relationships. Two years after that, um, or, yeah, two years after that, our family, that portion of the family, everybody went on a big family vacation. We all went to the beach together. It's been great. That part of the family, part of those families are going to be at my house today when I get home. 
It healed part of the family. It took nothing from me other than a tiny bit of humility to break down and say, this could go wrong, I guess. But we didn't, you know, on that initial meeting, we didn't break down every wall that had been there, and some of the hurts are still there. Some of the things that have done are still there. It doesn't take all those things away, but I can tell you that going from a place where you're not talking, where there's just turmoil in a family, to being able to go on vacation, to being able to have dinner and these things together, it's, it's only because of God. If we get stuck into this repetitive mode where these people are the enemy, it, the Bible does not say that. If you can find somewhere in the Bible that it talks about people being your enemy, come find me after church. We'll have a discussion about it. Because it is not in here. If you're Republican, Democrats are not the enemy. If you're a Democrat, Republicans are not the enemy. If you are liberal, conservatives are not the enemy. If you're conservative, liberals are not the enemy. These people, people are not the enemy. People of other races are not the enemy. Satan is our enemy. And he will make it look like these people are. He will make it look like we are to other people. Because we can't agree on things. But here's the truth. Paul says it really carefully. He talks at one point where there's a church who just cannot agree because they say, some of us were taught by this teacher, and some of us were taught by this teacher, and some of us were taught by this teacher, and we don't know who to believe and what's going on. They say different things, and Paul says, they're all preaching Christ, and it's Christ who's reconciled us to him. And so this is where it breaks down. I, I have, um, and it's hard. I'm not going to even pretend like it's not. There's going to be times when people are very contentious to you, and they say, you know what, and there's a role that we have to play that is somewhat subdued, somewhat humble. It doesn't mean that you have to get walked over, right? Jesus says that there's times when people will flat out reject everything you say, and in those times you can move along, but he never says to shut the door. That's one thing that I've learned in my life through this, this peace-seeking is there sometimes, okay, you don't want to have this, that's okay. But anytime that you would like to, it's always open. Come talk to me. We'll make it work. We'll figure this out. And it's so cool to see that Paul doesn't tell them to, Paul's pretty strict from time to time when it comes to things. But he doesn't tell them to, to take these two women out of their leadership role. He doesn't tell them, because he knows this is going to happen. He knows it's going to happen throughout history. He knows that this is part of what human nature is. And so this should be encouraging. It shouldn't be like a bashing on you. If, if you're like someone who struggled or if you've had this in your family, we all have this in our families. We all have this as, a, as people. It should be encouraging to know this is possible. Paul says it's possible. We see it being done through, through Christ, through God, through the Holy Spirit. Breaking down of walls, reconciliation. The second thing that we should do if we're seeking peace is we should pray more. This is hard. A lot of people struggle with prayer, myself included. And I think it's because a lot of times we tend to, we tend to ritualize things within the church. Think about, there, there's times and places for rituals. There's times and places even within like human relationships for that. Um, one thing that I heard one, a few years ago was, 
When you think of a person, um, shoot them like a text message or a call. It seems like it's out of the blue. Um, I do that a lot. When, when someone pops into my head, I just shoot them a text and I say, hey, like, I've been thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. Um, I hope that, you know, everything is going well. With you. Or I heard that this was happening to you and, you know, I'm really sorry. Do you need anything? And it's a practice where that is kind of a ritual. It's not overly organic. You know, it, it, the thoughts are organic. They pop into my head. But the actual act of doing it is more of a discipline. I've decided that that's something that I want to do. So there's times and place for both of these things, but prayer is one where we kind of see that both ways, right? So Paul says it here. He says, don't, in verse six, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So to pray about everything that would include some of the ritual. And when I talk about ritualized prayer, I talk about like when you pray before you eat, before you go to bed, right? My family does that. It's a good thing. It reminds us to praise God for what we've done. But there's also times when I'm driving in the car, a lot of times for work, I, I drive, you know, hours here and hours there at a time, and I'll be thinking about something, and I'll just be running over thoughts in my head. I'll be thinking about scripture. I'll be thinking, hey, I'll be thinking about a movie that I saw, and it'll make me question maybe something about this world. It'll make me question something about what I believe. And I'll take the time in that moment to just start offering up thoughts to God. It is nothing like uh, scripted. It is nothing there. I just say, hey, God, like, I just went and saw, and it's something as, as crazy as like, I just went and saw this new Marvel movie. And it seemed like the theme in that they were really trying to push was that like, you need to rely on yourself and not on anybody else. And that's opposite of like what the Bible is telling me. And I, I'm struggling with like the world's kind of putting this idea in here. And what, where do I go from there? And this is not something that is like, I sit down and I'm like, okay, God, you know, I'm going to lift up to all these. Whole, I'm talking about a movie I saw. And then I allow myself to kind of be silent. And I'll tell you, through that, what ends up happening is scriptures that I've read things that I've heard from mentors and friends will start popping into my head that have to do with that. Now, you can think that's coincidence. You can think whatever you'd like to think. I think that that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulls out of the depths of my memory the experiences that I have, and he puts them out, and he says, you know the truth. You've read the truth. And that's what prayer is. That's, to, to pray about everything means we have to be constantly within contact with God, constantly communicating back and forth. God, I'm struggling with this uh, relationship I have at work. This guy just keeps, you know, rubbing me the wrong way. We keep fighting, and I just don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, scripture from last week's sermon pops in, seeking peace. Okay, so I know what I need to do. I'm not entirely sure how that goes, but I know the right steps, the first steps. Then I think a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think, about that ritualized part, but we don't think about this kind of constant communication that we have. And again, I want to encourage you, this should be encouraging that we have a God that we can access at all times about everything. It's crazy, but when I think about my relationship with my daughter, it kind of, it helps me have perspective. My daughter wants to come, and she wants to talk about how in, in gym class, they're learning how to jump five times, right? And she wants to tell me about it. Everyone can jump five times. It's, it's fine, right? Like it's, like, it's not that impressive, right? But when she brings to me, and she's so excited, I, I'm 
full-on attentive. I want to hear it because she's so excited. And it's something big to her. And it's so amazing. And it's something that she is so excited about. And so I listen. And, and so I think about that in my relationship with God where I come in and I say, God, I've been watching this movie. This is something I've been doing. Or I've been talking to this person. And it seems so flippant and so dumb. And yet... Paul says, pray about everything. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. If we aren't sharing, if we aren't engaging, then it's, it's an acquaintance. And here's where the real encouragement comes in is, an acquaintance, if you read through scripture, it's, it's I, I can talk to someone, if, if they're really curious about this after, I can talk about that. But Paul says that, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, some of us will build foundations on Christ. And then we will begin to build upon that foundation. And we will choose what we build upon. Sometimes we will build things with things from this world, ideas from this world, perspectives from this world, and we'll build on this foundation. He said once that foundation passes through this fire of God, if it's built with anything other than Christ, it'll be burned away. You'll still enter into his kingdom because you have the foundation of Christ, and yet what you built will be burned away unless you build upon what Christ, the materials that are from Christ. And so sometimes, you know, when I read that, you think, well, what are the materials of Christ? The materials of Christ are seeking peace, reconciliation, prayer. These are the things that build upon our foundation of Christ. And these are the things that will last through that forging fire. And it's really, really encouraging to know that we can do that, that we can build a relationship. And so I, I say, you can have an acquaintance with God and still see, receive eternity. But how much better to have a relationship, a genuine relationship where you rely heavily on that person the person of God, for comfort and advice, to seek after peace. This is prayer. A lot of people struggle with this verse right here where Paul says, worry about, don't worry about anything. How is that possible, right? Sometimes um, I talk with people and a, a kind of a hot button term right now uh, is trauma, trauma response. I don't know if you're, like, a lot of people are talking about trauma and what it does and what, and the interesting thing from a psychological standpoint with trauma is that you cannot understand another person's trauma until you experience that trauma. So trauma is trauma is trauma to all people. And the way I like to kind of show this is that if you put pain, let's just say pain or a painful experience on a scale and someone is saying, I'm experiencing number five right now. And another person is saying, well, I'm experiencing a 10. I'm experiencing 10 right here. First off, it's hard to gauge what one person's 10 is to another person's five. But let's say these are the two experiences. The person who's experiencing five right now, they can look at that 10 and say, I don't know if I could do that. And maybe the, the idea of, of the person who's experiencing the 10 might look back at the five and say, man, you're a wimp. Look what I'm going through. But here's the truth, is that person who is experiencing five, that's the worst thing they've ever experienced up to that point. They've never experienced anything past that. They're going through the very worst point of their entire lives right at that moment. And when we look at these things, when we talk about worry, a lot of times it's the same thing, right? How can you tell me not to worry? I just lost my house. This person over here, they don't need to worry. 
right? Their life looks great. I'm going through this. I just lost my job. A family member just passed away. How can you tell me not to worry when I, I see other people, yeah, they, they cannot worry. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, yeah, I don't really need to worry about anything. That person should worry. But the truth is, is that when we reconcile ourselves, kind of back to this very beginning point, when we reconcile ourselves to each other through Christ, it begins to break down those things. We begin to understand, have sympathy, empathy for each other. To see people go through traumatic experiences or hurtful things and we say, don't worry. And the reason we can say, don't worry, is because even in the midst of the most horrendous things, and trust me, being in ministry, you begin to see horrendous things. I know a lot of you in this room are counselors and, and psychologists and work with people on a daily basis who have gone through really horrendous things. And guess what? Many of them can still find peace in God. And here's the thing. That's why Paul can say, don't worry, because God transcends anything that can happen to us, including death in this life. I don't know what you're going through. I can only speak from my own experiences and the things that I've gone through. And I can tell you that every traumatic thing that has happened to me, every thing that caused me so much worry, I've come out the other side and I've looked back in hindsight and said, I see where God was with me. Maybe it didn't go the way I wanted it, right? I was praying hard for this thing to have a different resolution, and yet I see God's hand, and he says, it's okay. Right now, that can't be what, it, what the end result is, but I'm going to walk you through it. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's been through the worst things. He's been beaten, almost killed. He's been abandoned by his friends and family. He's been broken, and yet he says, don't worry about anything doesn't mean that you shouldn't be um, constantly, right? He's, he's being proactive. He writes letters from prison. He's still trying to minister. But he says, don't worry. Don't let that stress bog you down. Don't let it consume your thoughts. Don't let it, monitor, like, don't let it guide your actions. Give it to Christ. Be working towards the goal but knowing that no matter what happens, God's with you and he has you. That brings peace. It's hard. There's times when I give in to worry. There's times when I give in to anxiety. Things with my health, things with finances. There's been things in my life where I've looked and I said, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And there's times when I don't. And my scale moves from five to 10. And then in that 10 moment, I say, oh, wow. I can't believe I was so worried about the five. I'm in this 10 moment, and I can still do it through Christ. And someday, maybe it'll shift to a 15. I don't know. But Paul says, don't worry. Don't let it consume you. Be encouraged that you have a God who cares about you, wants to hear from you, wants prayer, and is there for you. And finally, if we're truly seeking peace, then we need to think about things that are of God. The, the actually is, we must fix our thoughts on what is holy. This is hard. This isn't just sinful things either. This isn't, you know, just like, we, we oftentimes turn to sexual immorality. We talk about, you know, pornography. We talk about um, lustful images. We talk about all sorts of things that we could put into, like, unholy 
things that we fix our thoughts on, our minds on, anger, hate, sometimes it's just concentrating too much on things of this world. If all you feed yourself is the news, if all you feed yourself is entertainment, then that's what you're going to think on. That's what's going to guide your thoughts. And when you have those moments where you're praying to God, all of a sudden a different voice is going to be speaking into your life. I don't know if anyone's experienced that, where if I'm distanced from God, and there's been times in my life where that's the case, where I'm not reading my Bible, and that should not be ritualized either. I read my Bible because it offers me guidance and peace and direction in my life. I don't read it because I have to now. It is beneficial to do so. But I read it because I want to know my creator. I want to know God. But there are times when I have fallen short of that and I've stopped, you know, reading for months at a time and, and I just get caught up in the things of this world and my own schedule and what's going on. And I start to have those times in prayer where I'm like, God, I'm going to lift this up to you. What should I do here? And all of a sudden, instead of scripture popping into my head, something I heard on a, a video pops into my head or some idea from a, a different point of view pops into my head that, that might be beneficial to read and look at and, and discuss, but it's not truth. I would encourage you to fix your thoughts on what is holy. This doesn't mean we can go the opposite way with this as well and completely cut the world out and, and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of this at all. Paul doesn't do that. And neither did Jesus, actually. If you read through Christ's um, words, his actual words, he would oftentimes quote um, people of, that, of his time period, other people outside of like, the Jewish faith. He would, he would use um, common uh, like, little stories. He would use um, some different language that would have been common to the, to the people of the time. He knew what was in culture. He understood what was going on. He understood how culture worked. He understood the things that were there. Paul does the exact same thing. There's one scripture where he's actually quoting a poet of the day. He quotes the poet. He talks about the, the gods. He talks about the unknown God. He knew what the people were worshiping and what they were doing. He was well aware, well versed. He was a part of culture. And yet he said, every time I'm going to draw myself back in to Christ, that's going to be what I meditate on. I'm going to know everything that happens here so that I can be, that's his famous quote, right? All people are all things to all people. I have to be able to engage with my neighbor, right? The person who doesn't know anything about this. There's people in this world, people that you probably know who have never read this. So to engage them from this standpoint is very hard sometimes to say, well, this is what the Bible says. Okay, well, I've never read the Bible, so you're gonna have to start from someplace else. And if we have no concept of what culture is or what's going on here, then we get lost. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying you have to be able to be grounded back into something else. When you're building that foundation, it has to be built with things of God, things that are holy. And remember, holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set apart for God. Setting yourself apart for God, setting your mind apart for God and saying, I'm going to understand what's happening here, but my thoughts are for you. I've set them apart. And I don't know about you, but it's encouraging to me because I, 
this whole passage is very encouraging to me because I get so bogged down by what I see in our country right now. I get so bogged down by, I see other churches just spewing hate. I see churches taking hard um, stances, and, and, and there's actually this one church that I've been following, and I won't name them, but they were a church that I really admired, and all of a sudden, now every single sermon is about politics. And it's not about what we should do, it's about who you should vote for. And it's about, you know, what this is. And there are things that we should talk about, which we do. Pastor Brandon does a very good job of keeping timely and cultural, and, and we try to, to focus on these things. But we have to be willing to reconcile ourselves and our differences instead of entrenching ourselves against someone. That can't be the reason why we gather. The reason why we gather cannot be to bash someone else. It cannot be to, you know, pat ourselves on the back. It is to come and build our relationship with God, the God of the universe who wants to have a relationship. And that's encouraging to me because when I see that and I see Paul's end of this letter, I feel like there's hope. We can fix things. We can take a step out. We can reconcile with each other. We can focus on the things of God. We can go to him with all of our problems, all of our grief, all of our, our strife. And he wants to hear it all. I hope that is encouraging to you. I hope that as a church, you feel empowered by that. I hope that it doesn't, you know, bash you down and you think, oh man, I'm a terrible Christian because these guys are like a couple years removed from Christ. There were people in that church who had actually seen Christ and met him or at least met someone who did and they're having these same struggles. So you're not alone. Pastors have the same struggles, but it should be encouraging that we have a guidebook to show us how and that we have tools, that we have a God that is wanting that for us. So like I said, I, I was hoping this would be an encouraging thing. I, I don't know where you are in your, in your walk with, with uh, dealing with peace and trying to strive after peace. Maybe it's a big struggle for you. But it's something that we should work on as a church, as a people. When you hear people from other churches in our country, like in our town, right? We shouldn't be quick to dismiss. We should be excited that that person knows Christ. We should say, man, this is really, really cool. Let's talk about it. We may be different. We may have differing opinions, but let's see what, where we go because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you this morning and we thank you so much. We thank you for the gift of your word we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his determination and his uh, desire to see your church both then and now as a church filled with peace. God, we pray for anyone in this room who's maybe struggling with disagreements with their brothers or sisters, disagreements in their family, disagreements in the church. God, let them take that first step break down those walls. We do it because you did it with us. We were undeserving. We were rebellious. 
And yet you humbled yourself, became flesh, made your dwelling among us. God, we thank you for that. Allow us to see the path that is laid out for us through you to do the same. God, we just praise your name. We ask for protection in these times. We ask for the right words to say. We ask for opportunity too. God, we just love you so much. We are just so floored by who you are, that you would want to know us and want to hear from us, that you would comfort us and be with us in the times of our trouble and strife. God, we just thank you so much for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.